Hey guys, thanks for tuning in this week for another episode of Just the Basics. My name is Tommy Bowles. And I'm Matt Shaw. And we're going to bring you the beat once a week, every week from here till, well, I don't know we when we stop. Maybe never. <laughs> <laughs> we shall Maybe never. Forever. Maybe we'll have a time limit. <laughs> the immortal podcast. So, <laughs> podcasting is fun. It's fun. It's hard. It's a lot, of, very time consuming. <laughs> Especially once we get into the editing and like the recording, you know, we probably spend an hour and a half to two hours a week recording. But once we include the planning and all that stuff, we probably spend a good, I don't know, probably six to eight hours a week on this. Sometimes more, yeah, sometimes less. I mean, you put a lot more so, time into the editing than I do. So, yeah, the editing process can take a while sometimes, but it's enjoyable. Yeah, I like getting the new content out to you guys. I think it's a lot of fun. We want you guys to sh- continue to share our posts, though, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff so we can reach more people just like you. Because the more people that we reach, the more cool stuff we can do for you. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I shared a, uh, I shared a survey online on Facebook and Twitter on my personal pages and on the, uh, the podcast pages. I'm going to put a link to it on the website, too. So we would really appreciate it if you guys fill that out because we got some new content we want to release for you, but we want to get your opinions before we do it. We don't want to just do a bunch of stuff that we think you'll like and turn out that nobody thinks it's a cool idea except for me. <laughs> right, because we're nerdy dorks and it helps if we get some of your uh, your internet opinions on uh, how dumb we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the internet is a mysterious place that I apparently don't know much about. So. The more that you guys are interested in it, the more that you engage with us, the better we'll be able to come up with better content for you. Because we old, but also young. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing, but we're old and stupid. <laughs> right. At least it feels that way when it comes to podcasting. <laughs> so like, we want to start a Patreon page, and we're trying to come up with what our bonuses will be, what different tiers we'll have, what special features we'll offer. So that's one of the things I cover in the survey. I had this awesome idea that if you pay us $5 a month, we'll pay you $10 a month. But Tommy shot that down. (laughs) I thought that one might not work as well. (laughs) I thought it'd be awesome. We get so many followers. (laughs) That's true. That's true. We'd burn a hole in our pockets, though. (laughs) It's okay. We'll take a tax write off. Right. That. Wait a second. I'm still not exactly sure why tax write-offs work for people. Mm. I don't know. People do it all the time. Apparently, it's a smart thing. I don't know. I'm not an accountant. <laughs> no, no. But government's weird. Yeah, so we, we got some cool ideas, and I, I think that you guys would be really interested in them. But we want to hear some feedback from you. So if you guys could fill that survey out, I'd really appreciate it. Um, and join our email list, because that's where I shared it first. But not enough of you guys are on the email list, and so you guys don't get it. So. Go to the website, it's tommybowls.com, and right in the very front of it, you'll see a little pop-up window that you can sign up for the email list right there. So you can go ahead and sign up right there and submit it. I tried it, it works. So that way you can get all the newest information, like when we start the Patreon page, we're going to open it up to our email subscribers, and then we'll share it on social media afterwards. We just want to get involved with you guys as much as possible so we can actually, you know, like we want to do Q&A sessions. We have that segment that we've been dying to do that we call What the Pluck, which we haven't talked about that in the last couple of weeks. True. True. What we want to do with that segment is we want, us to, we want you to send us your music. 
your original compositions or arrangements of stuff and send us a recording and some sheet music and we want to give you some pointers who knows we might tell you to get the pluck out of here but <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh no but we we want to help people grow as musicians so send us your send us your stuff uh we mm-hmm. we want to get involved with you guys so you can also do that on the website as well all that to be said, this week we're going to talk about why music theory is important, because I know we've been talking a lot about music theory, but I feel like some people just don't get why it's actually important and what it actually means to be good at music theory. So we got a couple a couple of pointers we want to go through, but first I wanted to start out with, is what is music theory? What dun, is dun, it, dun. indeed? What is <laughs> your theory on theory? What is my theory on theory? Yeah. Well, theoretically, <laughs> <laughs> if I had to pose a hypothesis, um, music theory is pretty, pretty straightforward. There's, it, what it does is it just explains what people have already discovered, kind of like what all the science is. Mm-hmm. So like, there's nothing new out there. I mean, everything's been done at some point in time, and if you think it hasn't been done, chances are you're wrong and it has been done even if it was done by mistake. Like, music theory didn't exist when they first started playing music. They didn't, like, make the flute, the bamboo flute, or whatever it was that they had, or their drums, and be like, okay, what is this that I'm playing? Dud, 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 dud. I think that sounds like an eighth note. Uh, they didn't do that. <laughs> they just played what they did, and it, they liked the way it sounded, you know? So the music theory was created after the fact to explain what's something that already existed. Yeah, it's, it's a uh, system for how um, mankind has organized sound and uh, then use that to make a system for creating more music and establishing little rules and techniques, uh, all that can be um, broken and pushed beyond, but also to create a little construct for if you do things like this, then you know that it'll always be right. And then if you go beyond that, then you have more options. Or if you find little creative ways around this and that, then you'll get little creative options for uh, rule breaking. But I think it's uh, really important to know that like theories, rules that we have, like part writing or um, like harmony and things like that. All those are there because it gives us the workings, like the science of sound. And Mm -hmm. um, if you incorporate that into your understanding of music, then that's really going to help you to be able to move forward in everything that is music. Right. Yeah. Like, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. It's not saying do right with thirds and sixths and don't use parallel fifths and octaves, which. It does do that in the academic world. Like right. when we went to college, they were very strict. When we were learning part writing, if we used a parallel fifth or a parallel octave, we'd fail the assignment. <laughs> I mean, like it was, that was wrong. But right. the reason is because you're in the academic world where you're trying to learn how other people did it, not learning how to use it for the future. So there, there's two different worlds of music. So you have what people study and what people actually do. And they're not exactly the same. Now, studying it helps you do what you actually do. So it's very hard to, well, I shouldn't say it's very hard. It's harder to make great music if you don't understand 
what other people before you did. And that's why theory is important. And the thing, I mean, the thing about it is too, is it, well, I didn't really, music theory didn't really come around until standard notation was developed because there was nothing to build theory on. So like standard notation where you have the staff and your 12 notes and everything, that wasn't a thing for a long time. And now that, that is a thing. Basically they created that because they needed a way to communicate with people in different countries because music was becoming more than just a hobby. It was actually becoming a lifestyle. It was becoming a job. People were doing similar things to what Matt and I are doing right now, mm-hmm. except of course they didn't have the technology to do a podcast, but if they did, they'd be doing podcasts trying to teach people what they were doing. So once that became, it became necessary to have a standard, uh, standard notation of way of writing things. Then once that came, the amount of music being outputted and created like get was insane because now there's a way for everybody to do it. So it sped up the process. You could create more music in a shorter period of time. So creating a theory of music made that a lot more, made it a lot more possible because now you have something you're pulling from that is the same across the board. Everybody's mm-hmm. looking at the same information the same set of rules. And so you can produce the music at a faster rate. Right. And you start to see where um, there's a record of people that have taken the rules and approached them with like an ingenious approach where that's like uh box bread and butter is he was the master of the rules. Um, mm-hmm. He practically built all these uh, harmonic approaches on how to compose and uh, developed how to voice and counterpoint and all these polyphonic voices and things like that. And you can hear it in his own, uh, his own playing, but also in all the styles that he plays. He's a master of right. the rules and how to use the rules to create these um, extravagant orchestral pieces. And as time went on, then you start to see people bending the rules a little bit or just keeping within the realm of the rules. But uh, if Mm -hmm. you backtrack to that Baroque period, like that's when people were just kind of uh, flourishing within the concepts of music theories. Don't parallel fifth here. Don't parallel octave over there. Don't have this, uh, this contrasting movement right there. That's not a good spot for that. Um, (laughs) And as time went on, uh, people started to see that, oh, well, you can have a uh, parallel fifth in your power chord playing because it's easy and we're rock players right. and no one cares. <laughs> yeah. And but if you if the, if you take advantage of those things and you say, oh, wait, actually, a contrast in the lower notes to the higher notes does sound good, then you'll notice the things that start to sound natural to your ears and it'll take your music from. Uh, from that basic rock writing level beyond that to a higher level of thought. And mm-hmm. you can kind of then backtrack and be like, okay, now I'm going to intentionally break the rules and use these sounds that are unnatural to the ear. You start to be able to take advantage of how our um, ears and in, uh, interpreting the sounds and acoustics of music. And right. you see that we, we have this, natural ability to hear things the way that the rules were written and that were uh, especially those of us with a uh, western upbringing where we grew up hearing classical music and uh, american styles 
and rock and things like that. Like we're used to the harmony that we're used to hearing. So as soon as we hear a rhythm from a African tribe or something like that, and it's like, whoa, 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 what's that meter? Why is it? Oh no, it's hurting. Ouchie. Oh no. Yeah. And then you start to see that, oh, someone that breaks my rules really catches my attention. So if I break the rules in my music, I'm going to catch people's attention because right. it'll have the same reaction of that's a sound that they literally are just not used to hearing. It doesn't sound right, exactly. right but that doesn't mean it doesn't sound it uh, that it sounds bad. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, honestly, like when these people in the classical period, the broke period, romantic period, they were coming up with these rules when they started breaking them, people freaked out and didn't like it at first. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not just like now we look back and we're like wow that was an amazing piece of work that was incredible but people did push back it wasn't yeah. all you know it wasn't all sunshine and roses for these guys when they decided to break the rules but some historian afterwards decided wow this is an amazing piece of music that we should honor and respect this and then they changed the rules to match what this person did so the rules are always changing and. They're always creating new things. Like, who knows? They might name something after you for all we know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, someone might go back and just decide to name it because they, you did something that everybody liked so much. Uh, and the other thing, too, is those rules, they're not meant to constrict you. But just be honest with yourself. Sometimes putting yourself in a box is actually sometimes a good thing for more creativity. Right. So, like, learning part writing, as much as I hated learning part writing... Well, actually, I shouldn't say I hated it because part of me, I didn't like the academic process of it, but I really enjoyed the results that I came up with trying to figure out how to work with these four notes, make them navigate this chord progression this right way, highlight the correct notes that you wanted to double the right things, keep the counter motion going, not do the parallel octaves and fifths. That was actually really cool because you're working with a very small set. You don't have a lot of flexibility. Right. But it's almost want... a Sudoku puzzle with music. Right. I, I always approach those assignments. And if you don't know what we mean by that uh, part writing in our thir- theory courses back at Liberty, um, we had assignments called part writing. And for that, you get four part harmony, like the soprano, alto, mm-hmm. tenor, and bass, as though you're writing for a choir. And then you have a rule, the rule set of everything from writing from this kind of a chord into this and how to resolve a phrase with a five to a one. Oh yeah. There's a lot of rules that I don't remember. Um, how to use augmented six chords. Those were a nightmare. The Neapolitans, mm-hmm. the yeah, French, German, Italian augmented six chords. There's all these different kinds of and they didn't uh, write harmonic the functions. <laughs> oh no. They'd say a yeah. one, six, three chord. And yeah, we had to remember uh, which one that meant. That was probably the trickiest part is a lot of the time they'll use uh, Roman numeral writing, which mm-hmm. that that is that's a standard for somebody. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Roman it's, numerals themselves were hard. It was the inversions that were hard. Yeah. Yeah. As, like now, as soon as they would get into six, that kind of stuff, it would get a little bit messy where Nashville right. numbers where it's literally just the numbers or just writing out the name of the chord right. normally. Those were much easier to um, to interpret as you were right. uh, writing through because the num- the Roman numeral approach 
it's very specific to what everything is. And to someone that's good, I always thought that it was a little convoluted and um, right. I, I feel like it, it, uh, it was kind of difficult for the teachers to be able to communicate to students. And in that effect, for, for me as a teacher, I tend to think that if something creates this much confusion, then it might be time to say sayonara, despite it being a tradition. Right. That, well, that's just really my own opinion. Anymore, but anyway, exactly. The, <laughs> like the Nashville numbers are going to help. But anyway, so part writing, its main use is for writing for a choir. But um, I personally use part writing if, say, I change that over to a guitar ensemble or a combo mm-hmm. or expanding yeah. that further into a big band or an orchestra We both level. used it in our big band writing. Yeah, exactly. Because those, those rules and those approaches to writing harmony, they if you incorporate that into larger form, you end up with a lot more of a um uh oh dog on it words. It I don't want to say a reasonable harmony, <laughs> a more like thoughtful approach to your harmonic writing. It it'll it'll make sense. It's logical. And you can then bend it as you go and you can make it uh, to what your ear likes. And you can be like, okay, now that sounds a little square. So let's take that and do that instead. There you go. And here you go, trombones, you go this way. And here you go, tuba, you go over there. And then the bass player, uh, well, we're going to give him something totally new. He's not going to sound like a bass singer. They're too boring. There you go. And soon then you've kind of taken this foundational spot that you're standing on in um, in the basic part writing theory, and you've then branched off. But at the very core of it, you have this musical, melodic, choral, uh, and very vocal writing that you started with. So that's going to translate into all of your instruments. Right. And the other thing, too, is you know it will sound good if you follow the rules. Yeah. That, that's the other you, nice thing about it. You like won't you be able to go write, wrong if you didn't break any of the rules. Yeah. Like, you could write without being able to hear any of it. If you know what the melody you want is and you know what chords you want to go with it, you don't have to hear exactly what part is what to make it sound nice when you follow those rules the right way. Mm. So, so that's what music theory is. I know we spent a long time on that, but it's... um. It's important to understand kind of what, where we're coming from with it. So the, uh, the, next re- the biggest reason that I think that people need to learn music theory is that because it's foundational to the rest of the music that you do. So like Matt was just saying, if you understand where you're coming from as far as the part writing instance, you can do your big band writing or your guitar ensemble writing, and it makes it a lot easier because you have this foundation to build your house upon, your musical house. <laughs> So the way I like to look at it is if you don't know what a note is, what you can't really play a scale. I mean, you can, but you don't know what you're doing. So what good does it do if you don't know what it is? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know what your scales are, anytime you're handed a new melody, it's a lot more difficult to play that melody because you don't have any reference to look at from it. Yeah. Any new material, melodies, new changes, chord changes, whatever, there will be completely foreign if you don't have that foundation of music theory. So it makes it a lot harder to learn new music if you don't have a basic understanding of where you're coming from. Now, you don't have to be super advanced to be able to get to that point, 
I mean, no. knowing what a chord is and knowing what your scales are, that's the basic of music theory. You should know your 12 scales, your 12 major scales. And really, if you know your 12 major scales, you know your 12 minor scales. Mm-hmm. So if you know those, it just, I don't know, it's really hard for me to understand how people can play and play professionally and actually do what, follow dreams like that without under, having understanding of where they're coming from. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I've seen people do it before, and it's like, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> it just makes it so much easier. A lot of time, uh, rock musicians, like yesterday I was working with a student on Hotel California, and I don't know of the situation of the Eagles and whether or not they had uh, any kind of background or much music theory knowledge, but... One of the things you'll notice in that song is there's a lot of use of playing over the chords. So mm-hmm. the the classic solo that everyone loves, that's just arpeggiating through chord tones, a lot of it. Not all of it. Um, the, the introduction, that's just arpeggiated chords, more or less. There's a little bit of um, melodic use on the top end of the chord. But if you don't hear any of that at all or if they didn't then that means that they had to or you will have to memorize every little stinking note that is being played and you probably won't even memorize the notes you'll probably just memorize where it is on your guitar and uh, basically memorize the tab and you don't know where any of it is, and it's just overwhelming. It's like, oh my goodness, this song is so hard. This solo, how do I keep track of this? Oh, I'll, I'll just recognize the patterns. Well, Yadengus, the patterns are just in the music theory. He's just very simply right. playing over the chords that are written, and it's not that tricky. It's actually very sensible and pretty doggone well written. It's it's nice. It sounds nice, and there's a reason that it. Um, translates to our ear well when you listen to that song because everything is very sensibly playing over the chords and if you understand that and you you see that oh this part it's just playing out of the notes of b minor mm-hmm. oh oh and then we go to f sharp seven. Oh, and then we go to g major oh my goodness this is easy now well right. you just skipped having to memorize all those things because now you're starting to see the matrix as it were where now <laughs> everything that should be difficult and tricky about memorizing a song, it, it no no more trickiness there. Now you can see right. through it, and it's just like, oh, there's a very sensible system in the progression, and mm-hmm. then it makes this little change over here, and suddenly, boom, you have a song memorized along right. with the parts to the song because you that's can recognize true. the theory that's involved. Usually theory in a song is pretty doggone straightforward. Now, of course, if you go into like a 20th century classical piece and you're trying to study some modern thing like a Copeland tune or whatever, then that's that's a brand new beast where you can write a thesis on the theory. But right. if you just just like say take take the A train. That has more complex corn corns, <laughs> more complex <laughs> chords than your typical pop tune. But it's still very straightforward in um, what's happening there with the Lydian dominant. And then in the B section, you're uh, starting on the four and then it goes back to the one and it's done. So there's 
there's these little patterns you can see in all these songs that as soon as you understand pretty much just basic theory, like it should not be hard to learn your ABCs and how to skip letters so that you can build a triad <laughs> as much as my young students make it seem like it's pulling out teeth. It's, it's mm. not as, as soon as they get over it being scary, they realize how easy it is. Right. Um, exactly. Like we've been saying this whole time, music doesn't have to be difficult. No, it's just, we you, overcomplicate it. When we think about concepts like theory, it's like, ah, oh, music theory, it must be really hard. It's really not. Well, if you build your foundation the right way and go step by step, it makes everything a lot easier. If you know your ABCs and your one, two, threes, you can learn music theory. Yeah, because at one point you didn't know those either, and those were hard. Yeah. Nobody really remembers that, but it's true. At one point you didn't know them. <laughs> at one time you were very proud of being able to count to 10. <laughs> I remember of being really, really proud of counting to 100, and I literally sat there at a kitchen table counting to 100. At <laughs> some age that probably was older than I should have been proud of that. But I what? can see you doing that. I have a feeling that my son is going to do that too. Oh my gosh. If he's anything like me and his mom, he's going to be a nerd and <laughs> love stuff like that. We'll see. Oh goodness. <laughs> maybe he'll be completely opposite and we'll have to like, maybe like pull on teeth to get him to actually try to learn something. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> he's going to be the coolest guy around. He's Yeah. Captain of the football team. He's beating He's gonna, up all the nerds. Yeah, he comes exactly. home and gives his dad a wedgie. Could <laughs> <laughs> be twice my size. Actually lift weights. <laughs> Do you even lift, dad? I'd be kind of intimidated, to be honest, if that was the case. <laughs> oh, god! biggest bowls around. Yeah. Wow. Wow, Matt had to do that didn't you i did not mean it that way <laughs> it's not my fault your name sounds weird <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna lo lose our clean rating just because of that <laughs> man we've gone to itunes r <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh all right well let's move on to the next step the next thing about it after the foundational aspect of it is it's vital to communication to be good at music to knowing music theory makes communication with your bandmates actually possible Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, Matt, I don't know how many times this has happened to the two of us where we've been playing with somebody and we've said, okay, cool, so let's go back to the head. And they look at you like they don't know what you're talking about. That shouldn't even be a music theory thing, and I guess it is. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, you, it's like you ask somebody something simple that they should be able to understand and they don't. And then what it does is it makes your rehearsal take that much longer. Mm -hmm. and it makes it so much more difficult because then you're having to figure out how to explain to people in a way that makes sense to them because they don't understand the correct terminology for stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like I, I feel everybody can relate with this, I think, is when you're training the new person at work and you just want to pull your hair out because nothing seems to stick. Mm -hmm. Some people, everything sticks the first time and you're good, but half the time it doesn't seem like it does that. Mm -hmm. You're trying to show somebody, okay, this is how you do this type of thing in the computer, and you show it to them, and five minutes later, they're like, hey, can you show me how to do that again? And it's like, I just showed you how. But the reason is because they don't know, like, or if you just say a term that people, you that you know from working at the job that is a common thing, 
but the new person doesn't get it because they haven't heard it before. They haven't been there. It's basically the same thing happens in a band setting when you don't have a music theory knowledge. Yeah. It's like you try to explain something and it's like, how are you? Nobody under, no, they don't, they don't get it. Like, how do you have a successful rehearsal? How do you sit down in the, uh, in the studio and actually knock a track out? It's just, it's very difficult. It can be very frustrating as a seasoned musician trying to play with somebody that doesn't understand any of this stuff or even worse, somebody that doesn't want to understand it. Yeah. I think that that's the biggest issue that I've encountered. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a big old come to Jesus moment because I feel like back in college, I encountered way too many uh, guys and gals that acted like it was the cool person thing to do to not like music theory class and to be squeaking by and Mm -hmm. to not need music theory because it's for nerds and um, to be slacking off in those courses and stuff. And it's like, Oh, well uh, I'm a good performer. So uh, uh, I don't, I don't need that, uh, how that extension works or um, I don't know what key it is. You tell me, um, Two or, sharps? What is that? Or um, my ear is good enough. I just play by ear. I, I don't need that. Right. And it's it's not a good excuse to be this cool person that doesn't need to do the work or practice or put the time mm-hmm. in. If I can't talk to you, if I can't say that, yo, I'm playing this E major 7, and you just kind of look at me blankly like I've spoken in Japanese, then... I can't work with you. That's very, that's a very basic thing to say. I remember there'd be times that other students would come into um, my, my private lessons with Mr. Spencer and they would look at us like we were possessed and Hmm. it would just be because it's like, they'd just be like, I, I don't understand what you guys are saying. Like, what are all these, you're saying it so fast. And it's not something like that we were trying to show off or I was trying to show off what I knew. No, no, no. no. It it was literally just Mr. Spencer and I would talk in deep theory and I enjoyed that. And of course he enjoys it. He's a, he's a professional and we'd be talking and talking and talking and talking. We're this deep into understanding a song that we're working on and the options that we have for subbing in different chords and why this could work or why this could work instead or all these different routes. And it's so exciting and we get so into it, but from an outside person who is obviously like, sure you need the context, like just hopping in, in the middle of something like that is like, Oh my God. Oh no, I don't know what you're saying, but you should be able to. And I think one too many students, they just don't pay attention in in music theory or they think it's cool mm-hmm. to not know what it means if there's four sharps or three flats in the key signature that's the worst part it's when someone mm-hmm. won't learn their doggone key signatures which is extremely easy to do guys if you have a sharp the last sharp in the key signature is the leading tone to the key if it's flats the second to last flat there's your answer yeah it's please, not that hard please learn your key signatures it's not it's absolutely inexcusable to act like you're a musician when you don't even know what key 
that the music's in. And don't use key signatures as an excuse to not play something. Yeah. That's if one thing look, that drives me If you're mad. intimidating by playing it in E flat or something, then that that's just silly. Um, it, on piano, I understand why key signatures can be a little intimidating. Um, I play enough piano to, to get it. Um, even right. though most of the time these days, if you're playing on a keyboard, you can just, you can just transpose it like a capo, but oh, on guitar, do don't do that. Sure. Cause if you forget to do it before the next song, I had somebody do that once <laughs> they hit the transpose yeah. button in a worship setting and they forgot to transpose it back before the next song. And that was a nightmare. Yeah. But don't that, do that. that can, that can happen. It it's best not to, I mean, my, uh, one of our keyboard players at my church transposes it uh, sometimes, usually because we need to actually change the key, literally, from mm-hmm. whatever it was. And in those times, she she always remembers to put, put right. it in and change it back. And usually it'll be like changing it to B flat or something like that. And she just doesn't want to go and print out a new sheet when she can just hit a button and I can play transposed. Uh, yeah, I just, just learned to transpose, chords, but anyways. anyways. Anyway, that's besides yeah. the point. Oh. So the the thing is, and the reason I'm so frustrated about it is because there are so many people that have a lot of talent, but they're just lazy, and they refuse to learn basic theory so that they can communicate musically with their peers and actually come up with ideas that contribute to an arrangement or know what's going on. And as much as you might think like, oh, I can play by ear and I'll know what's happening. Eh, if you don't understand the theory behind what you're hearing, you are going to get lost pretty doggone easily. And it shows. It really does. Yeah. Some people can make it work. Like um, Rob Nanton. I really want to have him on the show at some point. But He can, he can really hear what's going on though he yeah he actually knows what's happening and hears the harmonies and understands it he just can't literally sight read music and that's different right but yeah his ear could get him from beginning to end and he could just jump in the middle and be fine i'm so jealous of that uh, envious of that fact of that ability to be able to do that because i'm not like that at all but one thing matt you've had this happen to you too I've had people say, be, approach me and be like, man, you must have an amazing ear to play along with that because that, that was so, you know, it didn't go the way it was supposed to. And I'm just kind of chuckling because in reality, the only reason I knew what happened was because I knew the theory behind it. Right. And because I understood that this was the most plausible mistake that people made, I was able to adjust. Mm. So that's, I don't know. It, it's kind of like when you're trying to communicate on the bandstand and there's a disconnect between some, somebody understanding theory and somebody not. It's kind of like you're trying to FaceTime somebody on a flip phone. Yeah. It just doesn't work. Or like if it also makes it possible to teach students too. So, I mean, yes, yes your students, beginning level students are not going to understand music theory, but in the advanced setting, the college setting, I don't. Like if if I didn't understand music theory the way that Mr. Spencer was trying to tell me, and there were the concepts I didn't understand, so I don't want don't think sure. that you have to understand every advanced concept out there. No, because like Lydian dominant core or Lydian dominant scales were not taught to us in our music theory classes. Nope. But it was taught to me in my private lessons because that's a jazz thing that you do a lot in jazz. 
So when he first brought that up, I gave him this dumb look on my face like, what? Like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. So he explained it to me, and I was able to understand it. But if I didn't know what a Mixolydian scale was, and I didn't know what a Lydian scale was, it would have been really hard to understand the Lydian dominant scale. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like if you're trying to teach somebody advanced concepts that doesn't know even the the basic stuff. It's like if Matt was speaking Spanish and I was speaking Russian. Like, I'm not really going to be able to teach him how to play bass any better. and He's not going to be able to teach me how to play guitar any better if we're not speaking the same language. Right. I mean, like I said, you don't have to know everything, but at least know your basics. Know your chords, know your key signatures, know your scales, know what, know how to count rhythms, for crying out loud. Eighth notes, sixteenth notes, please. (laughs) I I think kind of like you said, like it's a it's an important teaching tool as well. You don't want you you also if you have a lot of music theory knowledge, you're going to be able to gauge who you're talking to and their level fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. So if you get really into it and actually study music and learn all these um, these these techniques and what everything means and how things are built. And you just understand all this construct and you know how to communicate in music theory. Then if you talk to someone who doesn't know that much, but only knows a little bit or doesn't know anything at all, you're going to know how to actually talk to them. So it doesn't mean that every time you do talk to someone who should have been paying attention in music theory and thought it was cool to just sit back and pick their nose that doesn't mean that you just need to say like, okay, well, you're not worth my time. So buzz off. I'll never play with right. you again. No. Now you know how to talk to that person. And it's That's very basically true. you need to use musical baby talk with that person. You can still play music with them. You can still be their friend. You can see <laughs> if you can try to bring them to the light and actually learn some stuff that's <laughs> in music because you're a musician and you should probably learn how it works. Uh, you can still be their friend. Oh my gosh, that's too See, long. I was trying to be really patient in that part and actually be nice, and then I got frustrated again. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to use that as the nice moment. But I, I, mean, I, teach, I teach kids, all of right. my kids, and almost none of them understand anything in music theory. I have, I have one student that is going to be a theory nerd. For sure. Mm-hmm. Like most of them, like maybe half of them are getting a little taste of the basics and they're oh, starting to. See what you did there. Oh, there's a plug. There's a plug. <laughs> I see how you did the social media. Um, they, they're starting to get it a little bit, but it's like the most ABC of, uh, of communication in that. But I do have one where we're literally sitting down and I'm playing a major seven a minor seven or a dominant seven. And she's learning how to identify those. And that's, that's musicianship training wow. and training your ear. But I'm also talk telling her why, why is this different? What makes right. it different in these things? And she's like, how old is that? Six? I think she's like six or seven or so. Wow. That's impressive. Um, yeah. So sh- her ear is actually stronger than mine, but I'm teaching her why. Why is her ear better? What is she actually hearing that's different? How is she able, like, when we're, um, when she's playing, uh, she's trying to learn for Elise. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I'm helping her see where the chords are in for Elise. So she can start to see here's an A minor, here's a G major, here's all these things that make for Elise actually very, very simple. So that you don't have to just memorize it. You also know what's going on. Right. 
And so because she's becoming more fluent in speaking in music theory, that makes our lessons all that easier between us because she's starting to understand when I say, uh, here's a G major chord, here's an F in it. What is that F? What does that mean? It's the seven. Very good. Right. But there's also kids that they're not interested and they don't understand any of it. And we're talking in basic numbers for their fingers and that's it. And if I right. try to say major chord to them, I know that it's going to go shoof, way over their head and they don't bother to learn it. So I can't right. sit there and be like, oh, today we're going to be talking about the Dorian mode. And it, it, that's going to be based off the two in the major scale. And they're just going to be like, what the heck are you talking about? This isn't chemistry. Hmm. And right. I'll just frustrate them and I'll just look like a jerk and be stupid and they'll never listen to me again. <laughs> right. But that one student that you have that is learning all this stuff and is excited about it, it's going to allow her personal expression in her music. So later on the road, when she decides that she wants to play something just because she wants to play it, she's, her playing is going to be unlocked. She's been she's bragging gonna... to me about it at school. She has been teaching her other, the other students in school in music class. She's been mm-hmm. telling them about what they're talking about in the, le- in the, uh, the lessons. So... She's like become a teacher's assistant there because she understands how to read the music. So she's helping the other students with how to read, with how to um, put together a triad with all these things. And I'm just like, you go, because that's the best way to teach, uh, to learn is by teaching. I've learned a lot from teaching. Well, and even from doing those podcasts, I've had to learn concepts better than I thought that I, (laughs) like, I thought I knew them until I started trying to talk about them and realized I need to learn this a little bit better. (laughs) <laughs> yeah the the music theory then the last thing or the not the last thing but the third thing is your personal expression it allows you to unlock your playing and say what you want to say yeah. so like i remember in my le- in our lessons matt mr spencer would say all the time he would say stuff like okay he'd want he'd want you to play a sound when he was soloing, he would think about what sound he wanted to come out of the instrument. And if that sound was a Dorian mode, he'd play a Dorian mode. If that sound was a Lydian dominant scale, he was going to play a Lydian dominant scale. He got to the point where he knew his theory so well, and he knew where he could go, what situations could be played, what notes we played and what chords and everything that he thought about. He didn't think about the chords and the notes and the theory anymore. He thought about the sound because the theory was so solid and if he played something, he almost always could immediately tell you exactly what it was. Right. I don't think that there was ever a time, actually, that he played something and I asked him what he had just played and he didn't know exactly what it was. And if he didn't know, he would just play it again and he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. It was, it's impressive. It's amazing. So a good example of unlocking your playing besides just that, from uh, I'll share a personal struggle of mine from recently that was... I felt like an idiot once I realized why I was having trouble. So on Easter Sunday, we played a song, a Johnny Cash Cash tune called Ain't No Grave. The chart said it was in B minor, and I'm looking at this chart, and I'm like, there's nothing B minor about this. I couldn't figure it out. It sounded minor, and I don't know. I still think that somebody was playing something not on the chart because it said B7, no 3 for the chord. So it was B, F sharp, and A, but it wasn't having the D or the D sharp in there. So, 
yeah, it was kind of weird. So, because if you guys know anything about chords, is the third of the chord is the strongest note. Typically, you have the one, three, and seven and leave the five out if you leave any note out. Right. So, it was really kind of weird the way that it was voiced and everything. But it sounded super dark, super minor, just like it was supposed to. And then it had an E major chord in there. And I'm like, how is this in, in B minor if it has a four major chord in there? Because it has a G sharp in the E major. Well, there's no G sharp in your regular minor, B minor scale, your B natural minor. So I was like, what the heck is, is going on here? You know, I couldn't figure it out. I All of a sudden it clicked for me. I was... I. I after rehearsal, I went home and I was like, I don't know why, I don't know why I'm having trouble with this song. But then I was sitting there right before sound check, and all of a sudden it clicked on me. I'm like, wait a second, all this is is a Dorian mode. This is a B Dorian. That's why it has a G sharp. Duh. And once I realized that, I'm like, man, this song is easy. What the heck is wrong with me? I was struggling to figure out like, and the reason I was struggling is because I have, I just have this thing where I need to know everything that's going on. Like that's part of why that my day job stresses me out sometimes is because I have to know and be, I want to be involved in everything that's happening and I can't do that. The Once I realized what it was, it's like the mental roadblock just got kicked away and I was like, oh, this is not hard. Why was I making this so difficult? And it was really easy again. So now you guys can see my, uh, my stupidity and laugh at me. <laughs> so the E major chord, it probably would have helped if that was an E7. Right. Yeah. I feel because when I I uh, I read your notes on 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 that story and I was like, wait, an E an E major like an E major seven like a four chord like what on earth? Oh uh, no, it was just a triad. <laughs> so I I had the seven. exact same moment of thinking, uh, wait a minute, why why a G sharp in that? And now now that you told it, now I get it. I I I was also thinking B Dorian as in like C Dorian and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what on earth are you even talking about there?" Now I get it. Now I feel yeah. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not the only one then. Yeah, it's just a nope, B Dorian. Nope, 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 nope. Because it was an E triad, so E G sharp and B. So that's why I was confused cuz I'm like, "Where the heck is this G sharp coming from?" Like it sounds okay, but I kind of wish it was minor. I kind of wanted the whole thing to be minor and not have any major chords except for the five chord. I'm actually going to want to look that tune up, though. I haven't, I haven't heard much Johnny Cash in, so him using a Dorian mode, that's actually pretty cool. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, you don't hear that much in, in country. I don't know if his original version was like that. Um, oh. I know the version oh. that we played was the one that Bethel did. Oh, so they might have changed it a little bit, but I can't imagine. They typically don't change stuff too much. That would be a pretty doggone big change to me. Yeah, so I think that's all it was. And it was structured very much like a blues, 1-4, one, 1-4. Four, one, four. It didn't have a whole lot of that, but it was like not your 12-bar. It wasn't a 12-bar. It was, it was odd, too. It would have like a 13-bar phrase or something like that. It would have a two, like the uh, the instrumental that it had had a bar of two of two four um, mm. every time that went through it. So it was actually really musically interesting for being such a simple tune. It was just that stupid Dorian mode. I, I spent so much time trying to figure out why can't I understand this song? And once I realized how easy it was, I was like, man. But after I realized that and understood the theory behind it, that song was easy for me. And so like the fills and the licks that I played were awesome after that. Like they fit 
it made it like it made it so much more fun because then I played that G sharp in the B minor chord uh-huh. as like a passing tone, and that was spicy. It was a little. It was pretty cool. It's looking like the chords are the same. It's a different key, um, at least on good uh, ultimate guitar. But right, it looks like it is the uh, the Dorian. Thing. Right, yeah, it's um, it was pretty cool. But yeah, the music theory behind it just it makes it easier to know what you want to do. It makes mm-hmm. it easier to once your playing is unlocked and you you don't feel constricted by what you know. Is so much more fun. Like I felt so confused because I was afraid to play the wrong note, and even though my ear is good enough to help me with that, I and I could correct for it. I didn't want to make that mistake to begin with, right? Especially not playing. Uh, there were four Easter services that we played, so I really didn't want to make a mistake with that because, from the church perspective, that's like the Super Bowl of ministry. <laughs> I mean, that's like your biggest day of the year, Easter and right. Christmas. So I didn't want to play something extremely noticeably wrong. I just, that was a fear of mine. So I was very shy about what I was going to play until I realized, until I realized it. And then it just kind of clicked and it was easy after that. Yeah. I think that uh, next point that I threw in here kind of goes with personal expression is theory kind of is a practical tool Mm -hmm. for your, your uh, personal expression because when when you're playing and you're uh, finding these tonalities and these stylistic expressions and things like that, or your uh, say your guitar tone, you're modeling that in some way to be more creative for whatever song you're working on. Well, mm-hmm. the theory is the the structural reasoning behind your personal expression. So like you said, with Spencer knowing exactly what he's playing and what it was that he played and being able to figure out what he played. I I've had moments where a student gives me that look of what'd you just do? And then I have to Mm -hmm. be that moment of this is what I just did. And a lot of the time that's because I played a little harmonic minor thing and they're just like, Whoa, that sounded cool. And so I have to show them what that was. Yeah. And I always like showing them that because on guitar, the harmonic minor scale is so stinking easy that it's always a joy to give that to them because it's easier than a pentatonic scale because <laughs> <laughs> everything's right next to each other. And and then they're like, oh, this sounds really cool. I could yeah. play a cool guitar solo now. And things like that, where you start to find um, what it is that your favorite songs did, like there was this cool chord progression on this song that you liked and it didn't sound like the, the classic one, four, six, five. And it had this weird tonality to this little progression. Like Corey Wong did something cool today. What is it? I don't understand. If you know music theory, you're going to be able to figure it out pretty doggone quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have an idea of why, uh, why could that have been odd? Even if you don't have the best ear, you can probably, understand the the concept of what may have happened there and being able to figure it out for yourself like i have a terrible ear i i know that and i know that a day may come when that changes and i could be like my ear finally isn't stupid hallelujah but for now i'll hear a chord that is like ooh, that was colorful and i don't know what it is Mm -hmm. off the bat i'm not like that is an e flat Seven sharp nine flat thirteen. Bam. Yeah, that's what it is. No, 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 no. I can't hear that for crap. But I can sit down 
and say, okay, well, it was at the four and then it did this. So this would make sense and I could figure it out from there. Um, right. And I think that that's, that's a reason why you don't want to just learn the, the most basics of theory. You don't want to sit down and just say that, okay, if I learn my ABCs, then I can figure out what these scales are because ABCDEFG, ABCDEFG. And then we just add in some sharps and some flats, and now we understand that. Yay! And now let's learn how triads work. A, C, E. That's a, a minor chord. Yay! I'm learning more things. Now you need to go beyond that. You need to learn how extensions work. Because mm-hmm. it, it, as soon as you get extensions into your vocabulary and you can understand how the sevens work and the difference between major sevens and dominant sevens, you start to understand how the nines and the elevens and the thirteens work, which are just basically going beyond that. And it, it's very sensible. It might sound complicated, but that's the point. It's supposed to sound complicated. Um, I think that you can definitely enjoy your playing more when you can expand harmonically and actually be confident of how those chords are supposed to work, where the one is a major seven, the four is a major seven. So that right. means those become those can be major nines. They can be major elevens. Blah, 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 blah. You have your dominant at the five. You could do so much with that. You could make it a altered chord you can take your uh your three at the minor and you could play that a third up and switch in with a chord sub you can do little tritone subs blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. there's so much that you can start to do once you throw aside that intimidation of extensions and if you want to have that little bit of color where you can do pretty much whatever you want with a song, then you're going right. to need that. You're going, you're just going to need extensions. It's just part of the requirement in uh, obtaining colors beyond the typical right. pop. You can they do just a little bit more. with triads, but honestly, like you, you won't be able to achieve enough from just using triads. Right. It's another tool in the bag. It's just another tool in the bag, something else to pull out, another flavor to throw on top, another icing on the cake. Um, yep. Yeah, it's, I think theory, I think we gave a pretty good argument for why people should learn music theory. It's, it, it's not boring Because either. I will hate you if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough reason right there. You don't want Matt from Just the Basics to hate you. No way. Yes. <laughs> I will despise you. I'll never play guitar with you. You will never meet my hamster. <laughs> That's the immature um, immature argument. <laughs> That's the one I and wanted to give. my wife won't be nice to you. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's too funny. She knows who I, who I think is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's too great. So... Yeah, now you know why music theory is important. It's because Matt will hate you otherwise. It has nothing to Go do with any of the stuff book. we just gave you. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real logical argument. None of the stuff that we just told you is actually important. It's just because Matt would hate you. <laughs> I'm a cruel crusader for music theory. You get your butt into a book and read it. 
Believe oh me, it, it honestly is really fun to learn a lot about theory and then start reading about music. I'm weird enough that my favorite things to read about really is just like, how did John Williams do this thing in Star Wars? And actually seeing the process theoretically on how he approached it and how he wrote this harmony going to this harmony and blah, 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 blah. Right. And then I hop into something and read about Debussy because he just took the rules and gave them the biggest boot that's ever been. And was just like, nah, I'm going to make these cool sounds and this is how I'm going to do it. And he uses right. all these extensions and he basically is playing jazz in his own style. And then we hippity hop over here to Corey Wong and see what he's up to and how he's making these really funky sounds and using a very simplistic approach to a complex rhythmic mm-hmm. groove and uh, then then throwing in a little bit more color and and you just there's all these things to learn and know and if you don't know the least little bit about music theory and you just hear the first thing of well he didn't use a triad and then you're like well i don't get it then how are you gonna yeah. learn all the fun <laughs> stuff out there are you ever gonna play more than just a don't stop believing cover <laughs> hmm? who knows right yeah yeah see i'll hate you i'll hate you <laughs> That's i'll write funny. you out of my book if you want to learn some really advanced concepts of theory too um well there's there's two youtube things i'd recommend that you, you watch one of them uh is a video matt actually shared with me recently it's a video of jacob collier explaining music theory to different levels of people They're explaining harmony uh, yeah. From like a little kid all the way up to Herbie Hancock himself. And it is the coolest thing. I love what Herbie Hancock says in there. Yeah. It's so he's cool. A, it's just so awesome. I'll link it to, in the show notes of this so you guys can check it out. It is really cool. It's just an awesome thing. The other thing I'd recommend you do is check out Adam Neely's channel because he takes, he talks about all sorts of music theory concepts that he, I don't, he's, a Berkeley guy knows a ton about music theory, but I think he just likes to take stuff that people haven't heard of before and push it to the extreme just to see what people think. And so he does these video essays, he calls them where he posts them on YouTube and he talks about different theory concepts that are really fascinating. So I would check him out too. I really enjoyed what he did with the Ariana Grande, thank you next. That that was a fun video. He it was. He really goes in depth on his approach to harmony and it's yeah. it's very cool and interesting. Like I told Tommy, like he he definitely beats around the bush to get to the point of uh the choices that are being made where I would just make those choices out of nowhere, but you might as well have somebody to really explain the depth of each choice. Right. And so I re- I really appreciate that he took the time to explain what to me might be a simple decision of just play the cool chord there. Like, yeah. Like when he goes from the four to the four minor. Yeah. So four minor. That, that, that's signature. a very simple decision to me to just altering the chord with the sub to move it forward in the progression. Right. I do that kind of a thing naturally all the time mm-hmm. when I'm comping, but he gave he a great explanation it. of it. Yeah, he like uses it and he's telling a story through the harmony. And by using that approach and really thinking out every choice, it's basically explaining what I do when I play harmonically and sometimes without really thinking about it. Right. And 
I appreciate that there's someone there that's making a video that can teach that to you. And you can sit down and be like, oh, wow, like there's all these options. Like, mm-hmm. I don't just have to play Ariana Grande's song as it is. And as he says in the video, like just starting off, they actually did a pretty good job with the chords in the first place. Like, yeah. It's already pretty colorful, but you can go even further with that. Right. Yeah, it was really cool. Go deeper. And whoever that was that he had singing on that track was amazing. Yeah, she that did a really good awesome. yeah. uh, Ariana impression. Yeah, it was great. So thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, again, please, I've got that survey out, so please fill that out. We'd really appreciate it. I'm going to link that in the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. It just would mean a lot to us because it'll help us learn how to grow our channel and grow our podcast and to find things that people will like better. And you can find me on Instagram under Matt C. Shaw. Feel free to message me. Tell me why we're dumb and why you now hate me for hating you for not liking music theory. Because that's how the internet works. It's full yep, of negativity. We know. <laughs> I know that you hate me. Come at me. I got boxing gloves. I feel like, Matt, I feel like you could be a troll. I, th- I could see oh, you doing that. Maybe. I, I don't know. In the end, <laughs> I, I, I am the, nice. But the, see, see, they're, they're not messaging us, so I'm all, I'm all primed up and ready for a fight. But as soon as they come at us, I'm just going to be like, no, please love me. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. I'm on Instagram at, at uh, T-Bowls Music. I'm also on Twitter at the same handle, uh, at T-Bowls Music. So... Check us out. You can go to TommyBowls.com to sign up for the email list. I'll have the survey on there as well. So, um, And don't forget to share us with your friends. The more people that hear us, the more cool things we can give you. So, so yep. like t-shirts and mugs. We can't do those unless we have enough people actually listening that we might actually be able to not lose a ton of money on making them. <laughs> Gotta get that merch. So stuff like that, we really want to do. We really want to get the Patreon page going with some cool stuff in there. But we need to we need some support from you guys. We need to hear a couple things, get some feedback. We'd really appreciate it. So anyways, thanks for listening. We will see you guys next week. See you guys. Mm-hmm.